Ecclesiastes 10.10. Let's put that back up there again. Let me, let me read it with you. I, you know, every week this verse, I'm, we're putting it up there. I, I want this verse to get stamped into not just our thought process, but I want it to get stamped in our hearts. I, I want us to, to embrace this because in every area of our, li our lives, this is what God wants to do. The if the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed. But skill will bring success. If, if we're going to take an axe and we're going to chop a tree down and that axe is dull, it's going to take a lot of effort a lot of time, and, and you're going to be worn out. But if you take the time to sharpen that axe, see, the axe is the tool. Sharpening the axe is a skill. She can do that because my granddaughter, so she can get away with it. The axe is, it's, it will be, it, you will take that tree down so much easier. And that's what it's like to allow God to work through our lives instead of us trying to struggle through the issues of life. And last week and this week, the topic is finances. The topic is money. I purposely did that because this week you have the opportunity to jump into Financial Peace University. So some of you have already signed up for this class, and uh, I would encourage you to do that. And you, you don't have to pay for it this morning. You can, you can do that the first week that you're there, or you can do it this morning, or, or however you want to do that. But maybe your finances are messed up. Let me tell you something. If your finances are messed up, you're going to go through these nine weeks, and you're going to be on a path that is not just going to take you out of debt, but it's actually going to put you in a place where you are investing. Some of you never even thought of that word. But maybe you're pretty good with your finances and you don't have any debt. Well, let me tell you, in, in those nine weeks, I guarantee that even if you're good with your finances, at the end of those nine weeks, you're going to be so much better with your finances. And not only that, Dave covers all the areas that we deal with our finances. You'll, you'll have a clear understanding as to what you should do in terms of insurance, car insurance, life insurance, different kinds of insurances. He deals with that issue. He de deals with all, all kinds of issues that you and I are facing in terms of our money. It is a great opportunity, and I would just encourage you to embrace it and allow God to work in that area of your life. It is such a big deal. There's a passage of Scripture I just kind of want to open up with. I want to dive right into it. And there's another passage that I want to close with, and a little bit in the middle. But, you know, for, for me on Sunday mornings, it's, 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 it's never I have to look for material. It's always how do I... See, God's Word is so thorough and so deep and so rich and, and covers everything so well. It's, it's what, what do I need to grab from His Word that we can squeeze down into this 30 minutes? And, and, and it's not a matter of looking for things. It's a matter of looking for the one or the two things. It's a matter of, of, of setting other things aside for another time. What is it God wants to say to us? I'm going to dig in hard on a subject this morning. Psalm 126, heard this all my life in several different versions. This is part of the King James Version here. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. There's some of you this morning, you're going through a difficult season of your life. Some of you are struggling with illnesses. 
There's something going on in your life. It's a very difficult season in your life. And the Bible says those who sow in tears will reap in joy. You may be going through a difficult season in life. God already knows what he's going to accomplish through that in your life. Then he goes on to say, he who goes forth and weeps. In other words, when we get beyond the difficult times in our lives, bearing precious seed. If you're taking notes, you have those notes in front. I want you to circle that word precious. Precious seed to sow shall doubtless, circle that word doubtless in your notes, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Precious seed is what I want to talk about this morning. Precious, that word precious, I, I find it in all kinds of places in the Bible. Knowing I wanted, wanted to talk about that this morning, I just began to, it's not hard to do a search, and you, you, there are so many, so many places I could have bought scripture verse from, and I just chose a couple. That word precious, words came up like amazing, special, powerful, but not all seed is good. There's a good seed, but then there's this precious seed that he talks about from time to time. The Bible talks about different categories like that. I mean, you know, we, when we go to buy something uh, very often online, it, it'll tell us this is good, this is better, this is best. And there's typically a price increase with each of those, good, better, best. And the Bible does this, th does this with us. Even when it talks about God's will, it talks about the good will of God. It, it also talks about the acceptable will of God. But then it talks about the perfect will of God. There's a difference between the perfect will of God and the acceptable will of God. And, and, and look, we, he, he doesn't make us do anything. You get to decide your level of obedience. You, you get to choose the one you land in, the, the one you want to get in. And in terms of seed, he talks about this good, better, best, this good, this acceptable, and this excellent. And then he comes to this precious category. When seed is in the bag it's pretty useless. If seed is going to stay in your hand, that's all it's ever going to be. And all through Scripture, story after story, all the way through the Old Testament, and as Jesus led the 12, and even beyond that, where, 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 where Paul writes to the churches, and then he writes to pastors in the churches, and even John in Revelation, God asks for something precious. I just want to lean into that this morning. When you plant it, when you sow it, when you use it, we place it. when God asks for something and we do it, we are placing it back in his hands. And in God's eyes, it becomes precious. I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say something like, you know, pastor, if I hit the lottery, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. That's not how God operates. He operates on planting seeds, planting seeds. In other words, giving him something and watch what he does with it. 
over and over in Scripture. Solomon. Solomon, when he came to worship at the altar, when he came to give his offering, he offered a thousand sheep. And, and some, people, some people would look at it, and he gave his best sheep. That, that meant when, when, when sheep were reproducing, the best sheep were already gone, and the logical mind would say, dude, you gave your best sheep. He gave his best sheep to God. He planted the seed. He placed it in God's hands. What better place can you entrust something to, especially when you understand how God operates? I see it in Joseph's life. Over, no matter what situation he was in, Joseph was willing to sow seeds. Moses, God came to Moses. And he said to Moses, Moses, I, I need something from you. And Moses is standing there. He's got nothing. He already left rich and famous. See, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh's daughter took Moses, adopted him, and brought him into, into Pharaoh's household. He grew up in Pharaoh's household, rich and famous, had influence with Pharaoh. But he had already walked away from all of that. And then God comes to him when he's out in the desert, and, and he's, he's a shepherd just watching sheep. And, and, and in a burning bush, God comes to him and says, I, I want something from you. Moses says, I got nothing. God says, what's in your hand? The stick? Staff? God says, throw it down. He throws it down. It turns into a snake. Pick it up. He picked it up, and it came back to his staff. And, and as you read the story through, through, the, through the life of Moses, what God did with that stick was amazing. All Moses did was give God what God asked him to give him. And the willingness to give it to God turned it into the supernatural, and God did things with it Moses never even dreamed possible. And he does this all through scripture. And what God wants in our lives is he wants the precious. And when he comes to ask us for something and we give it, it becomes the precious. The first thing in your notes is only planted seeds can become precious. Only seeds that we are willing to plant become precious. And God, here's what he wants to do. He wants to prove himself to us. This word precious, I see it in scripture over and over again in all kinds of ways. There's one little way even in Proverbs chapter, chapter 20. It says good sense is far more valuable than gold or precious jewels. Good sense is more valuable even than that. Good sense. In other words, thinking totally correct, thinking 100% right, thinking the way God, your creator, would have you think. And we're here this morning because that's what we want. We, we want to learn to think the way God wants us to think. We, we are in pursuit. See, we're not here because we're all celebrating somebody's birthday. 
We're, we're not here because this is the Sunday morning club. We're here because we want to learn more about him and what he wants and what he wants to do in and with our lives. And he says to you and I, because you're here this morning and that's what you want, that puts it in the category of precious. God says, this is precious to me. You are my children. I love you. This is a big deal. It's not just a bunch of people who kind of sort of embrace a religion are meeting on a Sunday morning. It is so much more than that. There, look, there are times in our lives when we can't hear God. Uh, you know, we go through seasons and we find ourselves in a place we can't hear God. He, he, here's what's amazing. When you can't hear God, you can read God. Because this is God's word. From beginning to end, inspired, inspired 66 books with writers who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to put this together. And for thousands of years, this has been protected and preserved when kingdoms and kings and guys who ruled the world at that, at that time decided they were going to wipe this sucker out, and it's still here. And we don't even remember who they are. This is God's word, and, and there is no bottom to it. Its spiritual richness is endless. Its potential is, is beyond what we could even think we could imagine. When you can't hear God's word, you can read God's word. And you know what? Over time, as time takes its place, you will hear God because you can't spend time in this and not hear God. As a matter of fact, you'll read this and it will read you because it's a lie. And his Holy Spirit lives inside of us, his followers. When God tells us to do something and we do it, it becomes precious. Some things you just can't improve on. This is God's word. You can't improve on this. It's virtually impossible. Water. If you're thirsty, what? you can't improve on water. Some things you just cannot improve on. I look at the religions of the world, guys, they were all started by people who are now in the grave. Let's make sure as followers of Christ, we keep clarity in our minds. Buddha is in a grave. If you were to open up his grave, you would find his body there. Muhammad is in a grave. If you were to open the grave up, you would find his body in there. I recognize anybody's respite, right to, to follow any religion on the planet, and many have fought for that, and, and that's, that's not a bad thing. But Jesus Christ was put in a grave. He willingly let them crucify him, and he was put in a grave and there isn't a grave on this planet that could have kept him more than three days. And my Bible says that on the third day he rose from the dead. And not just my Bible, but secular history records all of the events around this. 
and he's not in the grave. He rose on the third day, and that is a big, big deal. 1 Peter chapter 1 gives us even more clarity on that. But with the precious blood of Christ, that word precious, the precious blood of Christ, that th this is so important to what I want to talk about this morning, the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. Jesus, the son of the living God, 100% man, 100% God. They put him in a grave. And three days later, he was up and out of there and talking to his followers and talking to multitudes. When we choose this morning, as we sang together in worship, as we, as we willingly worshiped him, we, we, we're recognizing who he was. When we do that, it's precious to him. When we honor him with our lives, it's precious to him. When we're willing to pour our lives into what he's doing, it's precious to him. I see, I grew up in church. I, I, and by the way, I didn't meet Karen in a club. I met her in church. See, church has always been my club. Now, you can go to clubs. It's okay. I'm not telling you don't go to club. But church, for me, was my club. Everything I did was about church. It, it was where I wanted to be. I see this whole concept of precious. Let's take Abraham and Isaac. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. I want you to take him up the mountain. And I want you to bring, bring, bring enough wood up there so that you can, you can offer him as a sacrifice to me. See, what we don't read in that story is Abraham lived in a day when the religions of the world around him, one of the things that was very common to them is they, they would sacrifice their children to their gods. And God was saying, Abraham, I, let's see, if, let's see if, you, if you love me as much as those around you in the world love the things that, that's important to them. And you got to know, Abraham is thinking, wait a minute, God. We couldn't have a kid for so long. Sarah was 99 years old, and I was 100, and you blessed us and gave him to us. Now you're asking me to sacrifice him? You, you have got to be kidding. And we think of Isaac as this little kid. He was 17 years old. Isaac, if you read the story, Isaac carried the wood up the hill that he was going to be placed on as a sacrifice. And when Abraham, up on that mountain, placed Isaac on top of all the wood that he carried up the hill and took his knife out ready to sacrifice him, God said, okay, put your knife away. You proved you proved to me. But you know what? He didn't prove anything to God. There's nothing about that whole story that God did not already know. 
because God knows everything. But what he did do is he took Abraham to the place where Abraham understood that he was now at a place in his relationship with God where he was willing to be obedient to his God. Isaac carried the wood all the way up the tree for his sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross all the way up to Golgotha, and he laid down, and they nailed him to that cross, and he willingly allowed them. Precious. Number two in your notes, God has the right to ask for something precious. He has earned the right to ask for something precious. My topic this morning is giving. God has the right to ask for something precious. All through Scripture, he talks about the tithe. All through Scripture to his children, he tells them, bring the tithe. The tithe belongs to the Lord. And they were willing to bring it, and that made it precious. Some of, some of you, I, I know, are in conflict. You're going through a difficult season. There's, there's illness that you're dealing with. I, I know some of the stories that are going on in the heart and life of our church family. And if you're in conflict, you just need to know that God already knows, God already knows what he's going to accomplish through this. See, God doesn't bring things on us but the things that come at us, he uses them in ways we could never dream possible. And he already knows what he's going to do. And he has already given you all that you need to get through that time and to conquer and to win. And winning is not always what we think of as winning. But in tough times like that, when we continue and we worship him, and we embrace him, it's precious. It moves into the precious realm. And when you understand the precious gift that God gave as his son, and when you and I understand how valuable that gift is, it's not hard at all to respond and give whatever he asks. There's a passage of Scripture that I want to jump to that I've talked about so many times. It's a passage I grew up with, and whenever I talk about this, this topic, I go there because it gives such clarity. This is in Malachi chapter 3. The prophet Malachi is talking in Jerusalem to the children of Israel, God's chosen people. And he starts out this talk by saying, you know, you say you want to be, you say you want to be my children, but, but you rob me. You rob me. And they respond and say, well, well, how do we rob you? To which God through the prophet says, by not giving me my tithe and my offering. And he's talking to people who knew this. They just weren't doing it. They knew what he was saying, and they, they just weren't doing it at all. And so, so then he repeats to them what they already know, what God has all through Scripture made so clear to his children, right? 
In verse 10, chapter 3 of Malachi, he says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. Bring, bring it to the temple. Bring it to the church. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. And that means bring 10% of what you earn to the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. That's what he's asking. He's, he's, just, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm not asking for average or normal. I'm, I'm asking for precious. And the third point in your notes is when we respond to what God asks us to do, he pours out blessings. See, when we respond to what he asks us to do, God doesn't say, okay, and then move on. He doesn't do that. That is not how God operates. He goes on in this passage to, to lean into his character, his nature, and who he is as our heavenly father. He says, test me in this. That is the only place in all 66 books where God talks to his children and says, test me in this. Everywhere else in scripture, when God is being tested, it is not a good thing and bad things happen. Everywhere else in Scripture, but in this one place with this one issue, I believe because he understands clearly how big a deal this is for us, how much of a struggle this is for us, because this is our money, we think. This is, this is mine, and, 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 we, and we have all the reasons, but look what he says. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not, and then he steps into his nature. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That's his nature. See, all through scripture, God asks for things that are precious. And when we respond, this is his nature. And this is what he does. I got to tell you, church, I've shared with this before. There are people sitting all around you. This is how they live their lives. This is how I live. Karen and I live our lives. Every Monday morning, the amount that we have chosen to be our tithe, which is more than a tithe. Tithe is 10% of what you earn. We have chosen an amount that is, and I, please, I, as I share some of this personal stuff with you, I am not bragging. Please understand that. But we've picked an amount that arrives at our church office every single Monday morning. This nature of God, he has proved himself to us over and over again. And it is not just in dollar signs. It is the way he chooses to treat his children. And this isn't my promise, because if this were my promise or my idea to give to you, it would suck because I couldn't deliver. But he is God. And I tell you, if I were God, I would do it different than this. Because if you're God, you can do anything. 
So I would make all the churches have all the money they need, and we would do a killer job. He doesn't do that. Now, to be honest with you, I, I have to step back and say, okay, if it's my thinking or God's thinking, we're not going with my thinking because I can create more messes than you can even imagine. We're going with God's thinking because God chooses to involve his children. He chooses to raise his children in ways that his children never even dreamed possible. I will pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. In other words, I will protect your stuff. How much will I protect it? He goes on to say, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. I will protect it until you're ready to take it, until you're ready to use it. I got to tell you something, church. Here's where I live my life. I dive into this. I talk all the time about my Ford F-150. I, I, I love my truck. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a part of me. I didn't buy it new. I bought it three years old because I try not to buy new vehicles. Bought it three years old. I've got 185,000 miles on it. It's kicking along like it was brand new. I bring it here on Monday. It's here all week long with me. Any one of our staff members, any one of our, our staff at the school, they all take my truck and they use my truck to pick up stuff. To go, My truck is used constantly. I could, I could fill out a receipt and get the mileage from the church, the school. Or what. I, my commitment with my truck is, and it's an eight-cylinder. It's a gas hog, right? My commitment with my truck is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour in. Every, everywhere we can use my truck, we're going to use it. And it's not going to cost the church or the school or anything in here. It's not going to cost anything a penny. I'm going to do that. You know why? Because giving was the nature of God. He gave his son. I want to become a giver. I want to live in this world. I, I don't want to follow a Christ who's a statue or still nailed to the cross or distant in my life. I, I want to walk behind him knowing that he knows I'm his child. I'm following him, and I'm going to live in that shadow. And I'm going to do it in the areas of finances in my life because that's what he asks. And oddly enough, I live in the benefit of what he says. I got to tell you something. God is, has blessed us, and not in the ways that we think he would bless us. We forget this is God himself, and he is asking. And he knows. Here, church, here's where we are, okay? Here's where we, we're just like all, all the other churches that are like us. Somewhere between 15, and I don't know names, I, I don't want to know that stuff. Somewhere between 15 and 20% of us are tithing at a 10% level. Right? So don't look around and, and, you know, you don't know if the person next to you tithes or not. I don't know if the person next to you It's not the issue. Can you imagine, can you imagine if half of us were tithing? We could, we could rattle this community with what God has for us to do. But that's not even the reason that I talk about this. That's, that's one reason. But the other reason 
is this. See if I will not pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store. In other words, God wants to take you from being in debt to financial freedom. He's not, listen, that doesn't mean God's going to turn us all into millionaires. I don't believe, I don't, those people are selling books. I'm, I'm following a book. It's a big deal. It's so much bigger a deal than we realize. I'm ra- I raised my kids to live like this. Some of you sitting here, you've raised your kids to live. We're sitting here because people who went to this church and are dead and gone lived like this and did this. So we are living in the benefit of that. It's such a big deal. When you understand, and you and I understand who Jesus really is. John Griffith, in the early 1920s, he and his wife and little boy were living in Oklahoma. They were living the American dream. They were loving life. And the Depression hit in 1939, and and the finances of our nation and the world crashed. And it changed everything from them. And they made, their, they made their way to the edge of the Mississippi River and on down to the, in the Mississippi River. John was able to get a job in a control room on one of the railroad bridges. You see, the trains would thunder across that bridge, but, but there were times on the river that the boats had to go through the river. And so, so John would pull the, the lever that would control the big gears that would raise the bridge up so the boats could go through. And John brought his eight-year-old son with him to work one day. And John was explaining everything about his job. And, 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 and his son was amazed that his dad could pull a lever and all of this would happen. And they were having lunch off onto the bri- on the side of the bridge. All of a sudden, John heard the distant sound of a train whistle. And he jumped up and looked at his watch, and it said 107. He knew immediately that the Memphis Express was going to tower this direction in just minutes. And suddenly he remembered that the bridge was still in the up position. He jumped up, and he took his son, and he put him down, and he said, Stay here. I will be right back. Just stay here. And he took off up the catwalk, got into the control room, looking left and right, making sure there were no boats coming in the river. Seeing that that was clear, he looked straight ahead at the track and then looked down. And as he looked down, one of the most horrifying things he could ever imagine starved his his heart almost in a frozen position. He saw his son down on the gears. True story, church. He saw his son. See, his, his son, even though he was told to stay, inadvertently got up and followed daddy and fell off the catwalk and ended up down on the gears. And instantly, John knew that he had a choice to make. See, his son was bleeding down there. His leg was bleeding. And he looked up and he knew the time and he heard the whistle and he knew instantly what he had to do. And he put his face into his left arm and closed his eyes, and he pushed the lever. 
and the, and the screaming sounds of his son were, were silenced by the crushing of the gears and the loud bridge coming down. And as the bridge closed itself, the train came right out of the woods and thundered across that bridge with just seconds to spare. True story, church. As that train went by, John, as he wrote about this later on, he wrote the words that he shouted. He watched as the train went by. He remembers seeing a conductor who was looking at his watch. He remembers as the dining car went by, there were ladies having tea together. He remembers seeing a little boy that looked so much like his son. And as the train thundered by, he, ju he just shouted out, don't you people even know what happened? He shouted out in frustration. Don't you know that I have just sacrificed my son? When you and I understand that the creator of the universe sacrificed his son for our sins, When we really understand that, making a decision to follow, making a decision to say yes when he asks for the precious things in our life. And even beyond that, knowing the good thing that he wants for his children, it makes it so much, so much easier to say yes and to follow Christ in a whole other way. Stand with me. Let me pray with you this morning. Whatever God is asking for you. You know, interestingly, church, my dad never to any of his five kids encouraged or pushed us towards ministry because he knew how difficult ministry was. But yet because he was so willing to live his life and follow his Savior, all, all five of us, are following Christ and involved in any way that we can in what God is doing. Let's sing a song together. Let's worship together. I'll come up and close real quickly as we honor God this morning. You are God's chosen people. There's nothing he wouldn't do for you. And if that's not you, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I'm here to tell you this morning, he desperately wants you to accept him. That's as simple as you just recognizing and believing that Jesus Christ is God's son. He came to us and we celebrate that on Christmas Day as a baby. And on Easter, we celebrate the fact that they nailed him to a cross. He willingly let them do it. They nailed him to a cross, put him in a grave. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, proving he was the son of God. And not only that, the resurrect, after the resurrection, after he arose, he was seen all over the place in so many different, and, and it is clear to us that he is our Savior. All you have to do is believe that, and you become his child. This is not some wimpy little wimber thing. This is believing the creator of the universe sent his son to pay the price for your sins and my sins, and you become his child, and you become a part of our family. It's a big deal. 
If you've never done that and you want to do it, we're willing to stop right here. And every head bowed, every eye closed. And I would just ask you, if you've never done that and you'd like to do that, with no one looking around, and, and, and I would simply ask you to stick your hand up and put it right down. And that's just for me because he already knows. If that's you this morning, all our eyes are bowed and our heads are down, just put your hand right up, put it right back down. Go ahead. Father, we're thanking you for your goodness in our lives. And this morning, I pray, God, that, that not whatever I'm asking, but whatever you are asking, we would be willing to do. And that as your children, we then would move with that into this whole area of precious. God, do it in our lives, we pray in your name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.